is a message from one of our Sunday celebrations. And you can find out more about Jubilee by visiting our website at www.jubilee.org.uk. should have been concentrating more, but what a privilege it is to be able to stand up on the stage and bring the Word of God. And although it doesn't deal with nerves being a privilege, they still have the nerves, but actually it's a real privilege to have something that's God-breathed and to be able to bring it to you, dear people. So um, we're on the penultimate Sunday, uh, having taken into account what Ray's just said, there's no meeting here. But I think, David, you'll bring the last one, aren't you? So we're going through a series on David, and this is the second to last one, and David's going to be, um, David Ash is going to be bringing David's handover of the kingship to Solomon in 1 Kings the week after next. So that then will conclude the series on David. So today we're looking at the story of David's mighty men. Um, and I'm reading from 2 Samuel 23, verses 8 to 18. So these are the names of David's mighty warriors. Josheb, Basabeth, a Tachmanite, was chief of the three. He raised his spear against 800 men whom he killed in one encounter. Next to him was Eliezer, son of Dodai the Ohite. As one of the three mighty warriors, he was with David when they taunted the Philistines gathered at Paz Damen for battle. Then the Israelites retreated, but Eliezer stood his ground and struck down the Philistines till his hand grew tired and froze to his sword. The Lord brought about a great victory that day. The troops entered Eliezer, but only to strip the dead. Next to him was Shammah, son of Agi the Hararite. When the Philistines banded together at the place where there was a field full of lentils, Israel's troops fled from them. But Shammah took his stand in the middle of the field. He defended it and struck the Philistines down, and the Lord brought about a great victory. During harvest time, three of the thirty chief warriors came down to David at the cave of Adullam, while a band of Philistines was encamped in the valley of Rephaim. At that time, David was in a stronghold, and the Philistines' garrison was at Bethlehem. David longed for water, and he said, Oh, that someone would get me a drink of water from the well near the gates of Bethlehem. So the three mighty warriors broke through the Philistine lines, drew water from the well near the gate of Bethlehem, and carried it back to David. But he refused to drink it. Instead, he poured it out before the Lord. Far be it from me, Lord, to do this, he said. Is it not the blood of men who went at the risk of their lives? And David would not drink it. Such were the exploits of the three mighty warriors. Father, I just pray this morning, Lord God, that um, you will use the words you've given me, Lord God, just to, to help us grow in you, Lord God, to understand what you want from us as mighty men and women of God. I ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. In the uh, early days when, when Graham was handing out who was going to preach on what, and he gave me this verse, it was quite interesting, actually, because I'd only been in the church a couple of years when a great friend from my base church in East Grinstead came up to stay with us, and uh, he actually prophesied um, over the church about this word, about God bringing mighty men into the church. Uh, and, and some are here already. Some are laying dormant, some of the gifts are laying dormant, and some are still to be added to us. There's no doubt about it. There's been lots of prophecies over the church about the growth that we're going to experience over the years and months to come. But this is a story about some ordinary guys whose reputations grew because of the way they lived their lives. These are men's men's, they're heroes, and they'll be forever honoured because of how they handled very difficult situations. So what does it mean to be a mighty man or woman of God, and what does God expect from all believers in the way that we should think and act? Can I suggest to you that there are some principles in this passage that aren't the exception, but maybe the norm for every believer? 
because God wants us to be mighty men and women of God today. And he wants us to be, firstly, strong in the Lord and in the, might, in the power of his might, Ephesians 6, verse 10. And secondly, be mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, 2 Corinthians 10, verse 4. And these mighty men were put in the Bible to teach us the qualities that will make us mighty men and women of God. So if we just recap a little bit, just to bring us back up to where we are today. So if you go back into 1 Samuel, you'll find the story of the young shepherd boy named David, who's the last and the smallest and the youngest of the seven brothers. But he's been relegated to herding sheep, one of the most despised jobs in Israel. And one day a prophet named Saul come, uh, Samuel comes along and he tells David's father, Jesse, that one of his sons will replace Saul as king. One by one, as you remember, Jesse presents his sons. And Samuel looks at the appearance of the first one and says, look at the size of him. He must be the one. And God replies, the Lord does not look at the thing man looks at. Man looks at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. They go through the first six sons of Jesse and God doesn't pick any of them. And Samuel says to him, are all, are all these the sons you have? Don't you have any more? And in what would seem to be almost an afterthought, he said, well, I do have my youngest, David, but he's a shepherd. And what we find out here is that when others saw, others saw a shepherd boy, God saw the king. In the coming years, David would be recruited into King Saul's service as a musician, slay a giant named Goliath, be put in charge of the armies of Israel, and befriend the son of King Saul named Jonathan. And one day, David arrives home from a military victory, and the, sh and the crowds are shouting his praise. And it goes like this, Saul has killed thousands, but David has killed his tens of thousands. And Saul sees the writing on the wall and tries to kill David, but he escapes to the hills. And while he is there, a band of brothers gather around him, a group that would later become his mighty men. And going back a few weeks, Graham uh, read this passage in 1 Samuel 22. And these are how these men are described. It says here, David left Gath and escaped to the cave of Adullam. When his brothers and his father's household, he household heard about it, they went down with him there. All those that were there were in distress or in debt or discontented and they gathered round him and he became their leader. So here's the description of David's so-called mighty men, distressed, discontented and in debt. Here's what we know. David's mighty men were ordinary, everyday people. These guys followed David before he was anything and before they were anything. What, the, what made them mighty was the character they gained the lives that they lived and the decisions they made whilst they were with David in the wilderness. So let me take a couple of minutes to make some observations about the decisions that make these guys mighty men. And let's see how they connect with our own lives. So decision one may be, I will do what's right even when the odds are stacked against me. So let's look back at 2 Samuel 22 verse 8. These are the names. Of David's mighty men, Joseph, Basabeth, a Tachmanite. He was chief of the three. He raised his spear against 800 men whom he killed in one encounter. We start off with a story of a guy who's a brave heart and a gladiator wrapped into one. The name Tachmanite literally means the one who is first. And one day he finds himself in a situation where he's facing insurmountable odds. He's surrounded by 800 men and he has a decision to make. The possibility of victory seems very remote, and yet he knows the right thing to do is to stand and to fight for what is right. Have you ever been there? Ever been in a place where you knew the right thing to do, 
but to do so may have meant that you might not survive or at least be severely ridiculed. This is the metal that heroes are made of. When I was thinking about great heroes, um, one of my great heroes, I guess, in life would be Winston Churchill. And here's one of the great speeches I'm sure you will have heard before. And this is how he, he, he viewed the situation we were in as, a, as an island at that time. He said here, we shall defend our islands, whatever the cost may be. We shall fight on the beaches. We shall fight on the landing grounds. We shall fight in the fields and in the streets. We shall fight in the hills and we shall never surrender. So what made that man a mighty man in this country? You know, he obviously saw actually that when he looked at that situation, really, it was pretty, pretty grim. But actually, he had to get up and go to stand up and say that to the people of England. But that's not all. It's sometimes the employee who sees what's going on behind the scenes and behind their backs and refuses to be part of it. It's the spouse who realizes that the other party thinks that this marriage is all but dead and yet does everything in their power to reconcile it. It's the young person who refuses to go with the flow of the crowd because where they are headed is at odds with what they know God desires and they stand their ground. If you're taking notes, I wonder if you just write these two things down. No retreat. All of these had a mindset of no retreat when it came to the things they ought or ought not to be. That sense of right or wrong, a sense of integrity and tenacity drove them on. Then let's think of decision two. I will not give up even when none stand with me. Read the passage again. Next to him was Eliezer, son of Dodai the Ahohite. As one of the three mighty men, he was with David when they taunted the Philistines, gathered, gathered at Pastamin for battle. Then the men of Israel retreated, but he stood his ground and struck down the Philistines till his hand grew tired and froze to his sword. The Lord brought about a great victory that day, and the troops returned to Eliezer, but only to strip the dead. So here is the story. David has got his fighting men prepared for battle. Remember who these guys are. Distressed, discontent, and in debt. They're not military men. Now David gives his best warrior speech, and his lifelong arch rivals, the Philistines, gather. Once again, David and his army are outnumbered. And when the men see it, their hearts melt, and they run away. But David looks over and realizes he's not alone, but that Eliezer has stood his ground. Now, as a leader, you've got to love that. This is an issue of loyalty. Once again, the odds are against them. And yet there's something about facing a foe together. There's a synergy when that, that makes two more than one. Sorry, two more than two. The text says that God met them on the battlefield that day and gave them a great victory. The victory wasn't immediate, but in this story, they have to fight. They fight for so long that it says that Eliza was exhausted and he fought so fiercely that his sword froze to his hand. I wonder if you can imagine that for a minute. Holding on to something for so long and being so tired that in order to, get to let go of it, someone has to prize it out of your hand. Here, if you're writing notes, put down the words, no reserve. God loves it when we give all we've got to his cause and when we hold nothing back. Scripture says we are to love God with all our hearts, soul, mind and strength and that our lives would be a living sacrifice and they're not our own but they've been bought with a tremendous price it also says that god rewards persevering faith a faith that keeps believing that keeps fighting that keeps trusting that god will show up even when all our energy is gone and so we hold nothing back so here's the third decision i will stand in the gap for those who are around me the passage goes on. Next to him was Shammah, the son of Agi, the Hararite. 
when the Philistines banded together at a place where there was a field of lentils. Israel's troops fled from them. But Shammah took his stand in the middle of the field. He defended it and struck the Philistines down, and the Lord brought about a great victory. Once again, the Philistines are set for battle, and the men of Israel run away. One man stands his ground to protect a field. Well, there are plenty of fields, but Shammah's motivation is honorable. It wasn't just a field. It says that he was trying to protect the field of lentils. It's a field where the Israelites would have to harvest to make their bread, the food they needed for survival. If he were to walk away from this fight, it would cost many their lives and their livelihood. I wonder what field you and I are protecting. We know that the enemy prowls like a roaring lion, seeking who he will devour. And sometimes if we give up some of that field, it becomes like the norm. So I wonder if you're protecting your quiet time at the moment. Maybe you're protecting your Bible reading. Maybe you're protecting meeting with others. And maybe you say, well, it's, maybe it's easy for Shema because he could see the men around him. He knew he was fighting. And we know that in Ephesians 6 it says this. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, and against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. We haven't got a physical foe that we're fighting day in, day out. It's a spiritual battle we're in. Don't give up part of your field to the enemy. So beside this one right, no regrets. Wonder what it would take to live a life of no regrets. What would it take to live a life of no regret here at Jubilee? We have a number of causes here we're trying to stand in the gap for. For SMILE, for Faith, Hope and Enterprise, and more recently, our support for Cambodia. So here's what I know. No good performed for the sake of others is forgotten by God. I'm so proud to be part of a church that has those things on its radar and is intentionally targeting those issues. And we need to ask God to help us to continue to see those things through to completion. And you and I have the opportunity to live a life of no reserve, no regret, and no retreat. The final decision then this morning. I will devote my life to the one who is above me. And it says back in the chapter here, During harvest time, three of the thirty men came down to David at the cave of Adullam, while a band of Philistines were encamped in the valley of Rephaim. At that time, David was in the stronghold, and the Philistines' garrison was at Bethlehem. And David longed for some water and said, Oh, that someone would get me a drink of water from the well near the gate of Bethlehem. So the three mighty men broke through the Philistines' lines, drew water from the well near the gate of Bethlehem, and carried it back to David. But he refused to drink it. Instead, he poured it out before the Lord. Far be it from me, O Lord, to do this, he said. Is it not the blood of the men who went to risk of their lives? And David would not drink it. Such were the exploits of the three mighty men. This part is not a story about a boss who demands his men risk their lives for his comforts. It's a picture of a life of devotion to the one in authority over them. Under his leadership, they'd gone from distressed, indebted discontents to mighty men. He enabled them to live for something bigger than themselves, and it made them better. His leadership over their lives had changed them, and they lived a life of no reserve, no regret, and no retreat for one in authority over them to the point where no request or desire was too small for them to give their all. In the Bible, Jesus is called the Son of God, but also the Son of David. And a thousand years after David was gone, 
Jesus shows up on the scene and invests his life in a ragtag bag band of distressed, indebted discontents, his disciples, who fumble and bumble their way through life. When they met Jesus, he changed everything because Jesus does change everything. He watched as their, they watched as their leader lived a life full of no reserve, no regrets and no retreats, finally dying on the cross for them and for us. And they turned the world upside down. Today, Jesus is still doing it. He's calling to his side every distressed, indebted, discontent and calling them to a life of no reserve, no regret and no retreat. David was the only man in the word of God who was called a man after God's own heart. I wonder if that's what you and I desire this morning to be called that. Finally, and in closing, I want to read from Micah 6, verse 8. And it says here, he has showed you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. No reserve, no regrets, no retreat. Let's live our lives in honor of the one who gave his life for us. Because God wants us to be mighty men and women of God today. He wants us to be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. And be mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. Amen. I very simply just want to finish that off this morning by just simply saying that I would love to pray for anybody that feels they've been in that battlefield and just wants the spirit of God to come upon them. It's as simple as that. I'm not going to spend a lot of time waiting uh, for people to come forward. I'm going to call the end of the service there, really. So if you want prayer this morning, if you feel you've just been, you feel actually you've been through that battle and you've come up the other side of it, and you, maybe you feel a little bit like you've had that sword in your hand and you've been using it for so long it's frozen to you, I just want to, I just want to pray for you this morning. So um, that's the end of the service. Thank you very much for being here. Teas and coffees are served outside with some donuts, etc. Please remember, don't turn up here next week because there won't be anybody here apart from the staff. And we will see you in two weeks' time. Bless you and thank you. Thanks for listening to this Jubilee Church podcast. Feel free to check out our website at www.jubilee.org.uk or come along on any Sunday morning.